0: You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to another episode of the Grossed Out Podcast. I am your host, Rob Gross. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast, somebody that I've known for, Fuck, like 20 years, I think, something like that. Um, I'd like to welcome Lloyd Hummel to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about one of our favorite artists. Uh, we're going to talk about Tom Petty, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, maybe throw a little mud crutch in, a little bit of Wilberries, but I-, I am just super excited to do this. Um, let me run you through who Lloyd Hummel is. So he grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. 30 years ago this week, he got his first job at a record store and it changed his life. He stayed in music retail working as a buyer for an indie chain in Phoenix and then opened his own record store with two friends. He's worked with independent labels and artists for 12 years after eight years at Universal, where he worked in marketing and sales in L.A. and Detroit. He also worked with me on things like Full Devil Jacket, which I cannot believe he dropped that (laughs) one in. He is currently head of global commercial strategy at InGrew's, the independent label division of Universal Music Group. Welcome to the Grossed Out Podcast, Lloyd Hummel. How are you, man?
1: What is up, Rob Gross? Yeah, that is. Uh, it's all about. We'll do a full Devil Jacket podcast another time, but, but not this time. <laughs>
0: all, all, I, I don't. I, it'll be me, you, and then Darius Savitt will be listening to the podcast. Well,
1: and, and Mike Lawson, come on. And man.
0: Mike Lawson, right, right. Of course. I mean, listen. That band, they, they. I had I. I stand by that record. I do. I totally that was- do.
1: That's some that's some great early two thousands rock. Definitely. I'll tell you a funny story offline about something the singer once said to me. Uh, <laughs>
0: Mr. Born Again, Reborn Again, Devil Worshiper, Born Again. Got it. He was <laughs> not
1: born again at the time. Let's just no, put that I way.
0: bet he wasn't. <laughs> so, uh, so today, like I said, we're gonna talk about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Tom Petty solo, wherever our little hearts take us. But I am, I'm really excited to dig into this because, I mean, I, I sit here with a wildflowers tattoo on my arm. Um, I, you know, I think Tom Petty is probably the artist for me that has the most the, the the single most amount of flawless records in his catalog um per per uh I think per um I don't know how do I put this you know per capita or <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> the also, best average, right like the best, best average. He's got yeah. the best batting average, that's it. thats yes. it. so um yeah, so so let's get into it. How did you come to? discover Tom Petty walk me through that the discovery process for you when it happened how it happened
1: yeah so um, yeah you're, you're right about the batting average part we get we, we'll get into that later so I, sure. I'm a kid of the 80s you know I'm, I'm, I'm uh, my late 40s pushing 50 and um, so that puts me you know sort of the MTV generation and um, for me it, it was it was really two entry points right you got American Top 40, and he got MTV, and, and I, I, um, I was an, I'm an only child. I didn't have an older brother to introduce me to you, or an older sister to introduce me to rock or anything else musically. I just kind of found it on my own because the cool kids at school listen to, listened to, you know, Top 40, American Top 40. And so I got exposed to things like the Cars and Jay Giles Band and Joan Jett kind of right in that early 81, 82 range. And so, you know, by 1983, I was listening to it every single week. I literally can look at a chart and you know, or look at a song from that period of time and be like, "I I know that song because I heard it firsthand," versus it was before I got into it. It just like blew it right. up for me. So by '83, Long After Dark, you got lucky being on MTV. That crazy ass video mm-hmm. where they're out in the desert and Mad Max. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Like a short film is what it, was what they said it was, and so I got, you know, you got lucky and. You know, the other songs, Change of Heart, that were that were singles and videos. And then a couple years later, Along Comes, Don't Come Around Here No More, which, you know, the video era was, you know, a totally batshit crazy video that, you know, because they were batshit crazy at the time. And then I think probably after that, you know, Full Moon Fever kind of put it all together for me. But that's that was really the entry point for me. And then I went back, obviously. It was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of great material here.
0: Totally. No, I mean, that that's it's crazy, too, because I think our, our age difference is probably like, let's say, eight years or so. And I remember when and when I started watching MTV in the late 80s, early 90s, Don't Come Around Here No More was still in regular rotation. Yeah. Like it just never stopped. It, it, it would it would be on. Seemingly like once a day. So I grew up thinking like Tom Petty was this fucking magical being with like this top hat and this. Like, I, I didn't know what drugs were, but I assumed that whatever they were, he had a lot of them. And yes, and um, I was right. Turns out,
1: it, it, yes, you were in 1985. That, yeah, that, that was definitely the case. I I, I think, and they'll, they'll tell you that in totally. their books and movies and shit.
0: Absolutely. And you, you hit on something really interesting early, like right out the gate here where I remember probably in. In high school or college, it had to be college because DVDs and they were still super expensive. And I remember I bought the DVD for um, all the videos for the, that was the yeah. the, the, um, the corresponding piece to the box set, which is still to this day I think probably the best box set oh. as far as like audio content that has ever existed. yet and it, or at least top three. And I remember him talking about how all of his videos were basically short films and he was already thinking about things in a different, in a, in a more cinematic way than any of his contemporaries at uh, like any of them. That includes Springsteen, Dylan, um, anybody else.
1: Like I think maybe no and co- camp, those guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think maybe the cars were onto some like way, way out. Kind of, like their videos are obviously very, you know, kind of like stuck in the brain kind of videos. Um, especially you, you know, you might think, but, um, Man, Petty was just on some other shit. It was like some Scorsese shit at that point, where he was making three and a half minute movies, and of course it stood out because everything else was just a band in front of a green screen or a, or, or you know in a in a warehouse or you know, you know, girl meets boy. That's the video. Yeah, so it, yeah it was he was so far ahead of his time.
1: Yeah, and and I think they you know like a lot of guys, a lot of artists in that time period in the you know the the early to mid '80s, MTV needed content and um you know you got they recognize the promotional value of it and you know the the ability to expose themselves to younger fans because around don't come around here no more in the southern accents album you know he's they're 10 years into their career eight eight or ten years into their career yeah and you know that was that album was a bizarre simultaneous left turn and right turn for them truly Right, like you know, this combination of too much ambition, too much burnout, too much cocaine, yep. and like <laughs> we make okay, we're gonna try and do a double album here. We're gonna do a whole bunch of stuff about the south. Now we're tired, and he goes and meets Dave Stewart, and Dave Stewart's like, "Here's the synthesizer." Right. <laughs> right? And so, but, but but yet it ended up exposing the fan base to a whole new audience, um, and uh, like kicked us a career in a completely different direction, which. You know, you, you came to see it after a while, you know, really visual, especially if you look back at some of the tour footage and things like that. He really was, you know, trying to stretch out a little bit.
0: Totally. And that record's so weird. And, and, and it's like you have Don't Come Around Here No More, probably one of their three biggest hits ever. And then Rebels, which is one of my favorite petty tunes, especially from the, you know, the, the MCA era, because obviously yeah. it's so it's not divided. It's just you can really tell, you know, it, it's split into two very divisive eras for sure and at least it feels that way to me and um it's so weird because he they had they had all this success because of don't come around here more then followed it up with probably their worst record Ooh.
1: yeah that was a clunker <laughs> yeah. and uh, if you watch back if you watch back in the the um uh the you know the peter bogdanovich movie mm-hmm. and they kind of get to that part I forgot it was was either Benmont or i i can't remember who it was but it was you know it was let me up i've had enough kind of kind of says it all there right like yeah but you know what the thing is that that era though for for those for those type of musicians for you know springsteen petty mel camp all those guys it was a weird time period because it's like 87 88 you if i say 87 88 to you you think of two bands guns and roses and def leppard they were everywhere yep. and that was a sound that was dominating MTV and everything so like all these Heartland guys are like well shit you know yeah. <laughs> well, you know Springsteen made his divorce album Melon Camp pulled out banjos and shit and Petty did Let Me Up I Had Enough which has a couple moments but it it's does. a I mean, jam- it doesn't have any hits
0: no "Jammin' yeah. Me is a great yeah. tune yeah. I mean, and then it's all downhill from there
1: <laughs> yeah yeah there's maybe one or two like runaway trains is a good song but it's it's a it's a weird little record that's for sure
0: it is it is and and then of course after that it's you know other than mojo it's pretty much all been gold since then uh, which which has its moments as well um so i i don't know how this is an interesting one for me because obviously petty has stretched into other other bands like the wilburys You've gone back to do a couple of mud crutch records there's there's other components here there's the three solo records and then the, the band catalog but what would you say and you could choose from any of this favorite album and favorite song
1: that's 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 a tough one it is um tough.
0: it's like a very simple question but it's really fucking right difficult
1: you know, obviously, you know, in thinking about, okay, I'm going to talk to Rob about Petty. I got to just kind of think about this a little bit, but you know, there's time and place records, right? So for me, album wise, it's full moon fever. Mm. And it's that because that's, I listened to that record the day I graduated from high school. I remember Uh. putting it on my turntable while I was getting ready, flipping it over, getting ready and all that, taking it out, putting the record back in the jacket, setting it on my bed, walking out of the room, like I remember visually, like, I could see this in my head. And, you know, just for a time and place moment, like that was the, you know, the end of my high school years and like, okay, now I'm gonna go to college. I literally went, went to graduation and, you know, went on from there. And I mean, still now, you know, I, I look at that record and I think about a song like Free Falling," you know, and I live very close to Ventura Boulevard, you know, the vampires in the valley, which is where I live there's a, um, you, I don't know how deep you get into the valley rob but there's a there's a, a Floyd's barbershop um, up here in woodland hills and somebody painted a a Tom Petty mural on the side of the Floyd's barbershop with those lyrics you know all the vampires walking oh, through the valley and all that stuff that's and just awesome. so for me like record wise like that album just it has meaning it's followed me around in my life i love the first few albums but that one just kind of sticks out for me song wise I'm going to go the left, a little bit of a left field one here that, that a lot of people probably don't know, but it's a gorgeous song and it's off of Long After Dark and it's called Straight Into Darkness.
0: Man, I've been singing that fucking song all day long in preparation for this and I haven't even <laughs> listened to it in like probably, it's a year, six months. I, it, it's been a minute. And that is, it, it is probably the most, it is the unsung hero of the, at least the early Petty catalog for sure
1: it's a gorgeous song and I'm gonna tell you how I felt you you mentioned the playback box set and everyone it should go find that thing because a lot of the material that's on that is not in streaming as far as I can tell but the way they did that box set was the first three discs are basically like greatest hits plus a few really good album songs from the MCA years albums up to I I mean I assume it's up to uh, into the great wide open Mm -hmm. and Straight into Darkness is on there, and that's where I found that for the first time. You know, you're playing it right through, of like, you know, You Got Lucky and Change of Heart, and then this song comes on. It's this gorgeous kind of nighttime song. I've read about it before. Springsteen mentioned to Petty how much he loved it. It's just, it's a fantastic emotional song.
0: It truly is. I mean, there's just something about the way that he emotes in that song. I, I It's just, it sets a scene, and that's like, you know i think thematically with 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 artists like this obviously with springsteen and then for a more you know later bands like a band like pearl jam um, and definitely petty especially with his solo work like highway companion they're all mm-hmm. driving albums they're driving songs they're songs that you put on and just hit the road and oh, yeah. that's i mean highway companion literally is a highway companion like i picture i picture putting in like you know like um, an a track ragtop <laughs> top down put that on and just like drive through New Mexico. That's what that feels like to me. And straight into darkness feels like driving. I had this drive through Montana a few years ago and it was just, we were basically just chasing, we were, we were running against the sun and it was just nothing. And it was, that was, you know, listening to Tom Petty on that drive straight in the darkness came on. It's like literally driving straight into darkness Right in the middle of nowhere, big sky country. It was, it was really amazing.
1: But yet it's a hopeful song too if you think mm-hmm. about it you know, the, the, the lyrics at the end you know, I don't believe the good times are over you know I don't believe the thrills all gone anyway I mean you know get emotional with it but like um you know that's that's a song that you're you know the fans aren't necess- the, the the casual fans aren't gonna know because you know this and anybody listening to this uh, as a fan knows Petty had a huge catalog of hits just American classics but you could put together 20 30 40 like songs like straight into darkness that are not big hits that, that that touch nerves and have emotion. And um, there's just, there's so many of them, and that's definitely one of the best.
0: Well, I mean, he did something that I have been, you know, pining for, you know, for bands that I, you know, that I also love to do. And then when he announced those shows at the Fonda, In LA, and then it was at the it was at Irving Plaza. It was I think it was still called the Fillmore East. They'd switched back or something. But it was at that venue, and it was like you know what five nights, six nights, and I was lucky enough to go to two of them. I went to one with my wife. I went to one with you, and I remember he literally was just. I think maybe he played a hit or two, but he played more Chubby Checker songs than he played (laughs) Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers hits. He played wilbury songs but it wasn't petty wilbury songs he played tweeter and the monkey right. man so he was doing i mean i think one of the nights i got uh angel dream number four it was just like that's what you want like as a hardcore fan like we know you can play the sheds and we know you can play the arenas but come play the come play the fonda or the Wiltern and give us the b-sides and that's what he that's what they did that was just what a special show that
1: was It was. And, you know, I I know we're going to get to She's the One because when Angel Dream number four, I I think is what it was. You know, it was like it was chill inducing because, you know, Mm -hmm. that record doesn't get the respect in his catalog that it should. It does not.
0: And I I thought (laughs) I thought that with the release of Wildflowers and all the rest, which, by the way, all the rest is incredible. Every song on there feels like I've heard it before. And these are the ones that we have not heard before. And like, I've, I've had a copy of Girl on LSD for, you know, for 20, you know, for 15 years or 20 years. And so I'm, I knew that, but some of these songs are so incredible. They're, they're just, they're perfect songs. But still, I figured she's the one who would get more of a highlight when they talk about it. And it doesn't. There's a couple of alternate takes, and it's really cool, but to hear a different version of like Change the Locks or things like that. But man, that record. Has got to be the most criminally criminally underrated record of all time.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I I was thinking about that because it was a weird, it was just a whole weird time period, right? He comes out of this ridiculously prolific time period of wildflowers, where you know I think he recorded something like thirty songs for this thing, and you know it was originally going to be a double album, and he. um And then, you know, there's this offer to do a soundtrack. And I want to say, you know, it was like, okay, he he thought he was going to curate it. And then Jimmy Iovine, and I might be getting these facts wrong, so sorry, but like, it's like, no, no, this is, you know, you're going to do this record. And so he puts the record together and he works on it really hard because they're, they're rushing him to get it done. And then the record's done and they bump the film, which, so then he's like, my record came out and there was no movie to, to like help promote the record. And, you know, the thing didn't go gold and so he was really depressed about that and that was kind of the beginning of you know he had that really dark period personally from the mid 90s into the late 90s and so you go she's the one and it's commercial failure and then into echo Echo. and trying to record that which you know with Howie's downhill and what we learned later on was tom's downhill too just a Sad period. But it really amazing was. Music. I mean, the
0: music was incredible. Like those records. I mean, I, I don't know if it's because I, I I I came up, you know, years later, and but you don't. Tom Petty has done something that no other artist at that at that level that caliber has has done in my mind. Has made quality records up until the very end. I mean, you could say like you know Pink Floyd stopped making records in '94, and the two records they did with Gilmore at the helm are fucking incredible. Are they? Are they animals? Are they Dark Side of the Moon? No, but you know there are some absolute fucking classics on there, like on the Turning Away and High Hopes and you know yeah. uh, learning, uh, 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 no, learning to fly is Tom Petty, you, but you, you know what no, I'm saying? No, it's learning to fly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it, these, but I think that Petty w- f- has succeeded where a lot of these other artists haven't. Where every he, he was quality to the the very end. That last Petty record, I mean, you know, just amazing. And I, I, I think that, yeah, I, 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 don't know. I can't, I can't explain like the, the, the joy I had when, when I, I, knew, I thought that she's the one was going to get some of this much, much deserved credit, and, and, it hasn't. But I think, it was, it was really, hmm, how do I put this? Um, I thought I was going to the last, uh, the, the one Tom Petty show at the ball because I had never gotten to see him. Other than those Fonda shows, I'd see oh, every, wow, yeah, which is in, insane because he'd come and it would be very expensive. And I, I was watching the set list, and I'm like, ah, I don't want to spend 150 a ticket to hear 13 songs. And he's not playing the songs I want to hear. He's literally playing just the hits, and right. which is fair enough. They're you know it's like you know Aerosmith. They're they're tried and true American classics, and. I just didn't do it. And then when this tour came around, I'm like, you know, the guy's like 67. I think it's time to just go. And Anna got like deathly ill. She couldn't make it. Such a bummer. And then they announced two more shows. And so I had tickets to the first night. I brought my really good friend, Lisa, who's amazing who I work with now. And I love her. She's wonderful and a huge lifelong fan. But I couldn't get rid of two tickets. So I had four tickets for two people to that show. Nobody would take my tickets. Because they were way up in the... But I was like, just take them. They're free. And nobody wanted them. And wow. so they just sat. And, um, but I remember at that show specifically, he, he was not okay. He was definitely all fucked up. And he, at one point he just stops and he goes, now we're going to play a song. That's a request by me, Tom Petty. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and plays walls, which is my favorite Tom Petty song. And so I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I, like I bawled, like I cried, like watching him play that song Cause it's like the crowd reaction was so massive for it because I don't think it, it, it just like, okay, people do know about this record. They do respect it. Or they at least know the song or like the, the the quote unquote hit from this record. But it was, I mean, and it sounded flawless. Like you just, it's just fucking flawless.
1: And you can't help but wonder two things, right? I, if you haven't heard the, the Rolling Stone interview that they did with him at the top of 2017 that, you know, it, it kind of got resurfaced after, uh, the wildflowers box came out. Mm. But if you haven't heard that, go listen to that. Cause that's January, 2017. That's before, you know, months before it's before the shows you just talked about the Hollywood ball. Yeah. It's before, obviously before he passed away, but like, it talks about his thinking about what he wants to do around wildflowers. And, you know, how much of it ends up happening and coming coming to fruition. You put that, you know, because he wanted to go tour it. He wanted, But he wanted to play the whole thing. And he wanted to play the other songs. And he wanted it to be like a night, you know, a couple nights. And then you, you think about this reaction that, that you just mentioned to Walls. And then you talk about, because I had the same feeling you did about the tour. I didn't go to those Hollywood Bowl shows because I had seen him... That summer, I think is when it was at that thing, that, that short-lived Pasadena festival that maybe oh, comes yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That where it was like bright. 180 degrees outside, and I waited, and I waited for the show, you know, and, and I watched it, and, and it's criminal, but, like, I didn't stay for the whole thing, because it's like, I've heard all of these songs right. a lot of times, and I really want to hear him do some other things, so it just makes me sad. Could he have gone out and toured and done you know stuff besides the greatest hits and you know the, the the b-side so like he started that show i'm sure you know with rocking around with you from the first record which i love the first record yeah it doesn't get the respect in his catalog and that album has some some stuff on it besides american girl and breakdown which is a song that got him on the radio of course and uh it would be amazing to hear some of those those deep hits obviously we won't but like you know was he going to go in that direction? Would he have been responsive to that to play some deeper stuff? would have been amazing.
0: I, I think I read the transcript of that interview because I remember seeing seeing those those specific comments. And I remember probably two years before that he had talked about, look, I'm you know, I'm not saying I'm done touring, but I really want to pull back on doing these, like almost going the Danzig route where he's like, we're, like Danzig would do the blackest of the black tour and basically play like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, Dallas, Atlanta, mm. Toronto, Vancouver, end of tour. And it was like a, every night was like a mini festival, so to speak. So it was an event. And Tom wanted to seemingly do something like that because he was talking at that time. That was the first time he mentioned, you know basically celebrating wildflowers and these other songs and connecting it to she's the one he wanted to finish up at that point like more mud crutch songs there was another arch- archivist project he, or archival project he wanted to do he wanted to go and become a studio rat again and yeah. that's so exciting because the guy literally doesn't write bad songs i sat there i'm sure you've read it but it's the the lyrics book which yeah You know, now every artist is doing it. Like, Lanigan did one, which is great. And, you know, there's a ton of other artists that have done it. But to my knowledge, that was the first one, at least, that I had heard of. And I read that thing cover to cover. And it's him talking about lyrics, notes, chord changes, literally going through the entire catalog to that point, song by song. And just hearing him talk about the things he remembers. This is only shit that, like, a studio rat remembers. Like, oh, yeah, (laughs) that chord change on... And it was like, you know, a deep cut from echo and it's like how, or like, uh, you know, something from side two on, on, um, uh, you know, uh, this, the second record, it's like, how do you remember this? I don't know what happened five minutes ago. And you're like, Oh yeah. Back in 1976, you know, when I, when I, you go from C to like a sharp, it was just, I was looking forward to seeing what he would have done creatively.
1: Yeah. I, uh, you know, the last couple of records have been, you know, Hypnotic Eye and, and Mojo. We're, we're, we're both very different, you know. Uh, and for me, you know, honestly, not top records in, in my, you know, on my favorites list. You know, we talk about Full Moon Fever was my favorite. And, mm-hmm. you know, Last DJ was a kind of rough listen for me. Hypnotic Eye, Sam, you know, I, I really wanted to love those records. And there are songs on both of them that are fantastic. Um, but uh yeah i mean i guess it's silly like sure we'd love to know where the guy would have gone but we you know there's there's this amazing body of work and and the the thing that you know everybody can do is you know i'm a huge fan you're a huge fan but even just kind of in thinking about talking to you about this just picking albums and going deep and finding songs that i don't even think i you know spent a lot of time with the first time around and he's you know he doesn't have a, a catalog like you know like dylan where there's you know 700 records or you know spring scene where it's like and i love bruce that's so not a knock on him but you know like he he really you know he picks a direction on every record and really kind of goes like okay this is gonna be my yeah. rock album this is gonna be my you know my roots album folk whatever it is totally petty you know I mean, yeah there's definitely eras and there's definitely some you know different types of directions but um there's 16 records right and then you've got your willberries and your mud crutch that kind of thing it's not a not a not an unwieldy catalog and precious few clunkers in the bunch you know she's the one i know is probably close to close to the is, is that your number one we didn't talk about your favorite
0: no it's not i mean it, it is right it, it, actually this is a perfect tie into what i wanted to ask you next because this is i think even a tougher question yeah. where it's like you almost have to put you know your imaginary ego for a band aside where it's what's the favorite album versus the best album and it's always such a it i think at least in, in in my case, it's not always, they're not usually the same. And yep. with Petty, yeah, my favorite album is definitely She's the One. That's like, that's a record that I could listen to front to back every day. And ne- it's like sushi. I could eat sushi every day and <laughs> never get sick of it. I, I could order the same thing. It's very like militant that way for me. But I know that in my like Wildflowers is his best record. That's how absolutely I, it, it is. Yeah. It is a flawless body of work that bands will forever be trying to like. When I went to the Whammy Party this year, um, Danny Harrison and David Zonshine their their event, and you know the the the, the house band is a Petty cover band, and they're called the Cabin Down Below band, and they open <laughs> up with Cabin Down Below, and it's like I'd never seen Tom Petty play Cabin Cabin Down Below, so to yeah. see the band in a small club. Mind you, it's the fifth night in a row I've been out, and it was Grammy week, and I'm a corpse. I think I have eight, eight hours of sleep the whole week, maybe. And I could not... I, it just just the, simp, the simplicity of the riff and the power of it, and it's not even petty playing it. It's like, you know, I think Butch Walker was up there. I can't even remember. Blur. But, yeah, that speaks to how powerful the songwriting and the craft is for him. Like So for, so for you, I assume, it's, it's the same. You feel that Wildflowers is the best
1: Wildflowers. I'm gonna give you another one, but just a note on wildflowers. Um, if you haven't spent time with that box set, or if you're a fan and you haven't put the money down for the big one, mm-hmm. splurge and treat yourself. There's there's so much to unpack that they did such a great job on the back on that box set. You and I have worked in the business a long time. We've seen a million box sets that are cash grabs. Have some yeah, bullshit yeah. liner notes and a couple of bonus tracks and whatever. They Warner and the, those guys did a and and the, you know the family just did an amazing job on this. There are multiple versions, different takes. Um, you know the liner notes are thoughtful. Um, it's it's really special and you know my favorite song on Wildflowers is probably "Crawling Back to You."
0: Oh my god, that song is so good.
1: And it, it's such a weirdo song, like because it's 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 an amazing song, but like but you know just the way it feels when you listen to it. And then there's two two other different versions. There's one that's a little more casual. There's one, there's a live version of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so you really can, you know, see some different things. And if, if memory serves, I, I don't think the the last two LPs in the seven disc box are available on streaming or anywhere else. So you really, you know, if you're a fan, throw down and get it. It's, it's well worth it. Um, Wildflowers, obviously, is just one of these, you know, once in a lifetime records. But yeah. Damn, the torpedoes is a pretty damn yeah. close second. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's... That's a pretty goddamn. You look at the the first six or seven songs on that record, and you're like, it's like "Refugee," "Don't Do Me Like That," even the Loser, "Century City," "Shadow of a Doubt," and I'm forgetting the, like like that's <laughs> that's a hell of a way to first side of a record. You know what I mean? Totally. And you know, and I, I that one actually I kind of moved up on my list as I was looking at like my favorites just because it's so full of hits but um but even you know a deeper song like you tell me which is you know kind of later on the record which if if it doesn't come to mind go listen to it it's moody and it feels like 1979. you know what i mean well i mean like century
0: city too like i i forget about how fucking good that song is so good
1: right and 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 so he's so pissed (laughs) you know because (laughs) of what he was going through at the time of course um you know with like they were trying to raise you know he went through his whole bankruptcy and then you know he got, he got had to get out of one contract and into another and then you had the you know them trying to raise the price on hard promises like he was he was not he was not taking any shit really well, ever but definitely not in the early 80s
0: i mean the album cover for, for hard promises is like that 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 became it, it was literally at the record racks
1: he was going to call the record 898. Oh my god, that's so <laughs> cuz they were threatening to right. le- you know to raise it to 998. He was going to be like I'm going to call the out 898. They're like all right, but we that's we that's give it. you win. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's just it, but it feels like um you know speaking of like stages and eras, it feels like that's a totally different like it's so weird how he's, he was able to ride this line where he basically did like the wildflower she's the one records and you know mike campbell's on pretty much everything the guy's ever done and Mm. you know give her obviously not the wilburys but i mean it may be a try you know tracks here or there but you look at when he goes and does his solo records it's still basically to some extent they could be heartbreaker songs he played those songs now probably are half the set and uh, or or they were, and you know, but but you look at an album like Wildflowers and look at an album like Dan the Torpedoes, and those are almost two completely different bands sonically.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, completely. But you know, it just showed the evolution. He, you know, he always said, "I want to be in a band," right? Like this was not, you know, it was like my name's going to be on it because you know I, they signed my name to the deal. But like, I want to be in a band, and the fact you know that it largely remained, you know. Mike and and Benmont stayed with him all the way through, and you know, Blair went out and came back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the same guys until Stan Lynch left. Uh, but just you know, it it, it uh, they evolved with him and they went along for the ride with him. Um, yeah. Campbell is unbelievable, though, man. That guy does not get enough credit. He doesn't for for being an incredible guitar player. Um, and a good songwriter, my, my good friend Steve Wiley, who I who I started the record store with mm-hmm. back in the day. I just every time I listened to the outro solo of "Running Down a Dream" on Full Fever, it used to get him so excited. And that's a, a song itself, you know, a blistering solo, and and you know. Campbell could just, he just can do no wrong.
0: Well, it's like those songs had that record specifically, because that was the first Petty record that connected with me too, funny enough. Um, it, we, we got our first CD player
1: in the house. Yeah.
0: And it was the, the first couple of CDs that we got. It was like, um, there weren't for me. I mean, there was the the my, my stepdad, you know, bought that, and then. But it was like, you know, it was Paul Abdul. It was um, Millie Vanilli. It was um, that I, I would bring my copy of Hysteria or like, you know, yeah. White Snake self-titled. But it was when we went to Tower Records out in fucking Great Neck, I think, Long Island, and bought um, and bought uh, Full Moon Fever when it came out, and that I, I remember being so struck by the fact that it, there was moments on there that were as heavy as some of the bands that I liked, but it was done like in almost like a punk kind of way, like like between running down a dream and then like you're so bad, which is one of my favorite petty songs. Yeah. And it, there was always like an urgency to the way that Mike played when he needed to, but then he could also be the Keith Richards guy in the pocket in a way that I'd never heard before as a kid. It was like, you know, Def Leppard, amazing band. They don't exactly have that groove or that, they don't have they don't that's not in their bag of tricks that they've used at least to my knowledge and i've been a fan since you know 1987 so petty is just like and mike campbell is playing it's just it feels like when you go see the black crows where they don't even like rich and chris don't even have to to talk they just look at each other and they know where to take the song and that's what it felt like with mike and tom
1: yeah you you, you make a really good point and with benmont filling it in where it needs to you know and and like playing between the notes and um you know never dominating just um yeah i i you know you i don't know if you've heard this or seen this you know there's some talk of like would they go out again um you know without tom as a tribute kind of thing i saw that yeah you know I, i mean i think he said you know and this is just you know campbell and and benmont talking about it um of if they're, if they're willing to, you know, like, are they ready? It's still too early, they say, but I don't know, man, sign me up for that. I, I, yeah. I you know, depending on who's, who's singing, if, if you caught, there was that, um, there was a tribute where a bunch of, bunch of different bands were doing covers. This was a few weeks back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I could be on board with that.
0: I mean, just, you know, throw, like, Eddie Vedder on that. I think I'd be uh, I'd be
1: down. Yep, I, mean, I think or, you'd be down. <laughs> I would
0: probably be down. But, like, look, you take somebody, look, if it's, like, a one-off or it's, like, a few special shows where you do have somebody like a Butch Walker or somebody that, you know, isn't going to transform the song, is just going to play it the way it's meant to be played. Like, you don't need it to be reinterpreted. You need somebody to, to, to pay tribute to what it is.
1: Yes, I, I, I would sign up for that. I don't need a, uh, you know, a complete reinvention.
0: No, I, usually I want that. Like this whole Alice the Allison Chains, Mopop tribute, um, City and Color did a version of "Rain When I Die," and obviously I'm partial to Dallas and I, I I love him, but holy shit, like he transformed the song, and I think that's not what we want here.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's some different stuff. You know, there's one person we didn't talk about who who we have who we have to give a little bit of credit for for this whole Tom Petty being in our lives thing sure that's sky daniels
0: oh definitely definitely shout out to <laughs> sky daniels
1: shout out to sky daniels i just had to throw that in there because sky was you know obviously you and i worked with him a few years back but he was a radio programmer and uh, a good guy and and ran kcsn here for a few mm. years as, as as the guy but sky got tom on the radio john scott who was another who was who's the guy that is the guy that helped launch tom and put breakdown on the radio and was like this relentless promo guy who found this white label record in his closet when he started it at uh i guess it was abc back then and like played the just like beat everybody down to to play breakdown and beat him down for a year and finally got him on the radio and then sky got it kind of to the next level i guess and I'm probably getting a couple of those stats wrong, but God bless him for no, that. No,
0: look, a, we'll give him the credit for it, right? I mean, he was still when I was a dine alone. I brought Vanessa Carlton there, and he was still that. He fought for it and was still so energetic about like. You know, and she's not a new artist, but it was a reinvention for her. She made a really cool record with her husband, who's in Deer Tick. And it shouldn't have been called Vanessa Carlton. And we went down that road. It should have been called something else. as a project. And a very, like, lo-fi, cool record. And he fucking loved it. And he he yeah. fought. He's like, no, you're going to bring her by. And you're going to have her play. And she doesn't have to play any old shit. I want to hear only new shit. And it's like, how often do you hear yeah. that from a fucking radio guy? They're like, play the hit. And this yeah. guy is like, no, only play. she he knew that she wouldn't want to play the hits he just knew it so he he just i i yeah yeah definitely shout out to sky that's a good call absolutely
1: a music guy and in our in our streaming obsessed world and statistics and data and social media and all that stuff sometimes we all forget that like it starts with it being a good song
0: totally i mean i'm happy you say that i mean obviously we feel this way but you know for people that maybe. come up in a in a in a streaming world because look it's been around for streaming has been in the states now for 11 years on spotify alone that doesn't even count the years that rhapsody was holding it down at the beginning but i mean that's it right it's like where would you be without the song it's or without the band or the the record or the ep it's the, the data is inconsequential to me as a fan i don't care that you know, one song streams more than another, or it got this playlist or this global, What? it doesn't matter. It's like, do I like right. it? How many records do you like that never got any attention that, that it deserved?
1: We could do a million podcasts on that. <laughs> that's right. We could do a million. Like, nobody is listening to Full Devil Jacket today. I, yeah, that's right. Well, Damn somebody right. is somewhere, Sorry, but, but there's I, no podcasts.
0: <laughs> I, I probably will on my walk tomorrow now that we're talking about it. That's right, man. So, um, speaking of the live show, how many times were you lucky enough to to see the Heartbreakers?
1: That's a good question. I want to say probably about 10 times. Mm, that's awesome. And, you know, I got to see him, you know, like in a small venue, like with you when we went to the Fonda. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Detroit for a few years. And my wife, who I love dearly, uh, my wife's not a big, deep music fan. She's, she doesn't this is you know she likes music but like she's not gonna go at it quite the way I did and so I remember I bought a, I bought a single ticket because it was in the second row I'm like fuck it I don't want to go with anybody else <laughs> right. I don't I don't want to I don't want to have to like you know make sure anybody else is having a good time I'm gonna buy a single I'm gonna sit in the second row and watch Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers in Detroit and they just wow. fucking destroyed it and that was one of the better shows that I saw um, what what, a, t- what what tour is that uh, that would have had to have been somewhere in the highway companion years, mm-hmm. like it's mid 2000s. I love that. Record. So yeah, that, I think that's, I, that is a Okay. We criminally underrated record Yeah. and you have, we, we, we talked about a little bit earlier with the driving, you know, song like saving grace, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, which is a great blue song, but there's a song on that record. I know what you're going to say. Hold yeah, I bet. Try, I'm
0: trying to guess. Sorry, but you, you go. Well, but yeah, yeah, okay. you might
1: be right, but it's one of the most beautiful songs he's ever written. Mm. It's called "Square One." Yep. And I put that in a in a in a box with like wildflowers, "Angel Dream," "Crawling Back to You," "Room at the Top," definitely, definitely. "Straight definitely. into Darkness." Like these emotional, like "Square One." It's a song that he wrote. You know, not not. uh at the end of his career but you know pretty close to the end but like it's this reflection kind of song about where he's been in his life and you know and it really if you think about it 2005 after what he went through in the late 90s you know with his 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 issues and the coming course. out of it yeah you know and then you know last dj he had some shit to get off his chest and then yeah. then he did this record which was amazing and so anyway yeah that was that's when i saw him there Square One's one of those songs you got to go back and listen to if you don't know it. It's just, it's a
0: gorgeous, it's
1: a yeah, gorgeous it's, tune.
0: And and it wasn't okay. what I thought you were gonna say, so that's on me.
1: <laughs> so what 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 were you gonna say from that well, one?
0: No, I once you said beautiful or, or whatever word you, you adjective you used for that, I was like, oh right, it's definitely Square One. But before that, I think one of the songs that either it just
1: completely
0: lost in the canon of Petty is Turn This Car Around.
1: Oh yeah,
0: it's it has to have first that album is so it is the album basically is to me at least written around the theme of square one where like it's literally just he's playing drums on some of the songs it's like it's a solo solo record it's like it's as close as you're ever gonna get of him doing everything, and it, I it, forgot that. that. Yeah, he
1: played drums on that record. He
0: did. So there's a simplicity to the way that it's written and the way that he he wrote. He it's almost like he really did go back to score. He wrote the song. Look, I could be totally off base here. This is what I took as a listener: is that he? It felt to me like he wrote the songs on that record to be able to play everything himself. So there's a simplicity to it that I think even some of his simpler songs from the past, like Apartment Song or whatever, they don't even hold a candle to what he was doing on that record because like, Turn This Car Around is literally two riffs that are basically the same riff. And Mm -hmm. the way he sings it and the way that everything is just so, it just drags in the best way. And it really feels like, it's just like this molasses moment on the record in a in a great way. It's like a thick song on that record. I, I don't know. I, I am such, that's a top 10 Petty song for me. Wow. Yeah. Weird one, yeah. for sure.
1: It is. Like, I I mean, that. this is the problem, right? Like we were talking about, you know, the batting average. I actually made a list, you know, of, of the albums in row. I You know, you can see these surveys and stuff. That, and the thing about Highway Companion, I have Highway Companion like 10, 11, 12-ish. Mm-hmm. But I think i got to reevaluate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's so good. Uh, yeah, it, it, but and that's the thing about the catalog is like, you know, the obvious ones for me and for probably a lot of people, Full Moon Fever, Damn the Torpedoes are in, you know, lo- the first record, Long After Dark, for me is a really personal record. But, yeah, then you kind of, you know, Wildflowers. But some of these other records like Highway Companion, um, She's the One for Sure. Yeah
0: uh into the great wide open which i think has a lot of songs that weren't hits that were it was obviously the end of that era for him the end of like the jeff linish kind of polished sound but man like king's highway there are some great songs on that record too i'll
1: tell you though that record for me you're right about king's highway and obviously learning to fly Mm -hmm. um that one is a tough one for me I, i i look back at it and i go i should like this record more than i do but, um, and, and, you know, Jeff Lynn with what he did on full moon fever and the Wilburys records. And then, you know, um, I, you know, into the great white open doesn't age for me very well, which is interesting.
0: He definitely has like, not a stink. I mean, look, you know, I'm a big rush fan and like, you know, rush really had it out for themselves <laughs> between like <laughs> 85 and 90 ish, 91, where like the haircuts and the, everything changed. The bad videos, the oversynthesized, <laughs> rough... like moving pictures. I'm I moving pictures, I'm sorry. Um, uh, fuck the... Power light. windows. Power windows, <laughs> thank you. And like, But there's great songs. Rough like, record. Yeah, like, but there's great songs, but it's like th- everything changed and it took them years to dig out of it and I feel that like Petty got out of it faster, but there was definitely like some like leftover polished stink on that record a little bit.
1: Yeah. Last half of the 80s were a very rough time period for for rock bands heart and cheap trick and some of the others like not everybody came out of it you know uh you know bands that like actually could could were making these good rock records and you know not everybody made it into the 90s well but you know petty obviously full moon fever he knocked you know he signed off the 80s with that and and did just fine yeah and then you know toured with dylan (laughs) Yeah, all those other things.
0: <laughs> interesting time for Dylan too, but can't,
1: can't especially like, hair-wise. <laughs> oh God,
0: my—it's like a rat's nest. I mean, look, they can't all be can't all be winners. He has a—we—we—I've talked about that on a few episodes where it's like I, I actually appreciated his Born Again phase, but man, there were some really, really bad Bob Dylan records.
1: Yeah, well, you know. Dude did all right this week. Yeah. Cash.
0: $300 million. (laughs) Like the, he's the epitome of like boomer. um, Like just give me all the money. But also it's like, look, man, I mean, I guess take the money and run. Right. I mean, I, I got nothing.
1: Right. I mean, you're 79, you know, you're made, he made some, he's made some great records the last few years. Yeah, for sure. And, and Benmont and Campbell because they were everywhere. You know, played on some of those records. I think like in the mid '80s, Empire Burlesque, things like that. They were on that, and yeah, they just you know they were everywhere. God well, that, bless them.
0: Well, they also played. I, I I I might be definitely misspeaking for Benmont, but I don't think that I am. But definitely, my Campbell played on a lot of Johnny Cash, Rubin stuff that never either didn't see the light of day in studio records, but definitely made it onto the Unchained box set
1: yeah well if i'm not mistaken the heartbreakers basically backed up cash on that first record
0: oh i why did i not know that
1: on one of those american records uh um it might have been the first one you know know because because remember they cash did i won't back down right and you know it was i think it was probably one of those things where you know the Ruben connection and all that and whatever you know he invited him down and then of course you know the rest of the heartbreakers come because you know they'll (laughs) because they're the coolest right they go out with dylan they go out they play it they play you know touring as dylan's opening act and then they back him up and they do this with cash and like you look at tom petty right and the dude inspired by elvis eventually you know ends up playing in a band with one of the beatles and then Ringo joins him on a few other things. And then, they, you know, the Dylan tours in there somewhere. Johnny Cash, like, just gets to be with all these icons, Roy Orbison, and then becomes one of them. That's just, it's the way to do it.
0: Well, that's right. Isn't that, I think about that probably more than a, than a human man should. Um, I think about the Wilburys. Um, one, again, I, I know a lot of people found it hokey, but to me that's another perfect record i mean volume three has it has its moments but volume obviously the first one is the one and he was you know he was the youngest in the group by oh, by a bit and like by quite a lot and i think he was probably 37 38 at the time and he was the baby but when but he holds his own on that record i mean a lot of the, a lot of the shining moments of that record are petty moments and to, to be able to do that with fucking Roy Orbison, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynn as like, what a, what a fucking record. Like it's just, he's the baby of the group and he, that he, to me was, you know, a, a very big star on the show on that record.
1: He, he, uh, he got to shine and you know, the, the I, I'm going to get the details wrong on this cause you know, it's, taping this on a friday night my head is is mashed potatoes but oh good you know, something along the lines of like they they talked about it just kind of happening fortuitously like you know he and george were friendly for you know for a time period there and he like he was in the car driving to like go pick up a guitar at george's house or something and jeff lynn was in the car at the stoplight and they exchanged numbers i can't but it was that kind of thing where just like shit happened like that and it just kind of came together very organically and you know they made a song, and then they were like, "Well, we should probably make nine more. Let's make a <laughs> record here <laughs> like, well I
0: mean like were were you in the room when so when we were doing the festival of Mercy record? I remember I don't know, I might have been in Seattle with Danny, but um he was telling me um the story of like he was a- he's two years older than me, so Danny's forty two and he would wake up in the morning and like, you know. Everybody would be like Bob Dylan's reading the paper at the kitchen counter. They were recording the fucking Wilbury's record. He was he was nine at the time, I think, or ten. And then he'd go to school. Meanwhile, I think he told me that Dylan told him like school was a waste of time or something amazing, right? That you'd like definitely (laughs) want to hear from Bob Dylan at the age of nine. And basically like Roy Orbison would be like working on a car out in the front yard, sunglasses still on. And basically he he was like it was it was almost like a painting because he would go to school. Live this other life at school, and come home eight hours later, and everyone was still right where he left them.
1: That is, like, that like, must—that's, you know. No, never mind that you're the son of a beetle, but like, still, you're nine—you're a nine-year-old boy, right? And like, you're just conscious <laughs> of this all happening. And, for, and as you're telling me this story, like, I'm—I'm I'm in Encino, right? This all happened like two miles from here, like three miles, okay, from, like, because right. Petty lived in Encino, and you know, and they did a lot of the recording and a lot of that stuff here in this part of town, which still kind of trips me out as I'm driving around a little bit, even looking at the Free Fallen video and kind of, you know, just all that, the whole Wilburys era. Um, Yeah, you know, that first record is something special. It would have been amazing if they could have made a few more or toured it, you know, or whatever, but obviously that didn't happen. No,
0: I know. We got the Wilbury twist. That's what we got. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which, again, is fine it's the best they could do it's totally fine we'll take it (laughs) we'll take it so um shifting gears a little bit um if you were to have a conversation with somebody like what's what's the weed what's the what's the gateway drug song or record or both if you were to try to show somebody maybe like you know somebody that 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 works for you like a 20 something year old kid that doesn't know shit about petty where would you start somebody
1: oh that's a good question Thank you. Good one. Um, it's, yeah,
0: it's tough. I'm, I'm hit, like, these simple questions are tough.
1: Uh, I think honestly, as, as, as cliche as this is, well, I mean, look, the, the, I'm not going to say the greatest hits album because just, that's not how you do it. That's illegal. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, especially because Mary Jane's Last Dance, which was like, you know, a throw in track at the end. Totally. But I think i think I go with that first record, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. That, especially if I'm talking to somebody in the business, that, that record took a year to break. They went, you know, they put the record out here, and nobody gave a shit. Radio programmers, this is, you know, that 1977, early 77, right? record came out late 76, I think. And radio programmers and people here thought it was a punk rock record record because he's wearing a necklace with bullets around his neck or some shit like that right and people, he got they got lumped in the same basket as bands like the clash and talking heads and elvis costello who are three of my favorite bands by the way but good choices they went they went over to the uk and and broke in the uk off of a song that's not even a single that americans don't even know called anything that's rock and roll which is one of my favorite songs totally to well and it's that's it's so
0: in the fact that you say that right i think this all the time because there's definitely uh, people say this about aerosmith then the the argument is there but i feel that tom petty and the Heartbreakers, especially a band breaking in the uk to come back here they are the quintessential american rock and roll band yeah there's no doubt in my mind like i i I, yeah i want to be like no it's pearl jam because like that's my (laughs) band but it's fucking not like it is tom petty and the heartbreakers
1: yeah you you have a band like this that broke over there in the UK they come back here and and you have people who champion them and you know work them at radio and they tour their asses off and they tour their asses off and they write new music and they get it there that record is full of songs you know like American girl and breakdown you know yeah. that are big you know american you know big american rock and roll hits and then there's a bunch of just um i mean there's just there's there's food again and stranger to the night and Mm -hmm. the wild one uh, uh, forever um that's that's where i would start i'd say this is a band that like that people took a while to catch on to there's a lot of different things going on here even though these songs are not super complicated but it took a while and and i'd say you know hang with this and feel the energy and think about how this started a you know 45 year career um, of one of the greatest American rock bands ever.
0: That's I mean, look, and I love listening to bands, even when I discover a band chronologically. So that answer works very well for me. Um, and then you go right into you're gonna get it, which is God damn it, that that like that could have been the record. They're like, oh no, that they're definitely more of a punk band. You'd be like, yeah, probably, because that record <laughs> it, it's got some rippers on that record.
1: Right, and you you get punched in the mouth with. Oh, they just saved listen to her heart and uh, i need to know for the second record you know like yeah, those right. those two which which punch in the mouth um yeah that a very strong one two punch and those two records don't get the attention that wildflowers down the torpedoes full moon fever you know she's the one no those, but the other ones <laughs> right, that right. that you know but that that those ones get but they you don't. know because because you know the singles but you want to listen deep go go and find you know go and listen to those two records and skip the singles that you know and you'll hear you know the those those you'll hear the band working to find its sound that they realized on damn the torpedoes damn is one of those like those third albums right that yeah. like that you know born to run you know bands like that that just like they find their groove on that third album because they get the chance
0: well, these bands all got chances then. Like you know, the third album doesn't exist now, right? That's like, no. okay. oh, well, you didn't get a fucking TikTok campaign going. Well, then your career's over, kid.
1: Yeah, your third single. Your, 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 your third 15-second your third snippet? No, your, come on now.
0: Your third snippet. That's all you get. You get three snippets. Um, get off my lawn, Rob. Get off, get off my, my lawn. Listen, I mean, I, I I try not to sound old with the... Kind of, like, there's there's a reality when you think about a band like Fleetwood Mac that didn't really have a hit, commercially viable, massive hit to, like, album 13 or 14.
1: Yeah, whatever <laughs> like, the hell it was, it's right? It's insanity.
0: <laughs> and, like, Fair. countless lineup changes, but whatever. Um, so, uh, I... I I always want to end with this one question and I, i'm going to morph it on this one because i think it's a much more interesting question at least for me where i want to know like hey does this band have like what's the sexiest song this band has done but to me it, it's so clearly honeybee so <laughs> so i wasn't even going to go down that road but for yes. i'm really curious to know for you what do you think what's your favorite what's the best what's the best b-side not a deep cut what's the b-side that you go to
1: b-side um so you mean something that's not on one of the records
0: yeah i mean it could be on the playback box set or yeah like, or you know or i mean technically she's the ones all b-sides right but but i mean yeah yeah like, like what's what's yeah
1: i got a good one for you so i think we talked about like you know mid-80s you had campbell and tench doing you know, all kinds of stuff playing on, on all kinds of people's records. You know, Mike Campbell wrote the boys of summer for Don Henley played it for petty. And it was like, eh,
0: that's right. That's oops. right.
1: So yeah, oops. around that, <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> around that time, you know, like early eighties too, like you, you know, the stop dragging my heart around, mm-hmm. you know, story of how that was, you oh, know, yeah. you know, that was a Stevie Nicks thing that I, I think he, you know, he ended up, he ended up keeping that one with her but you know and or there was inside anyway i'm all over the place but i think the b-side uh there were a couple of songs that he did there's a song called ways to be wicked
0: oh yeah i know that
1: song which is uh uh i think you know writing songs for lone justice and lone justice ended up doing it but he's got a version of that that is on the playback box set which is amazing um there's another one, Waiting for Tonight, which had the bangles on on uh, vocals. Um, there's Surrender. I mean, there's a few of these, right? Surrender, yeah. which was never on a proper album, which was early 70s. or Not early 70s, late 70s. And there's another one that is, this is a total chestnut, I think. Jeff Healy Band had a hit in 88 or 89 called Angel Eyes. It was a big hit.
0: Oh, yeah, huge hit.
1: Sorry, I'm totally, I'm 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 mixing it up. Angel Eyes was, was a different one. Uh, wait, no, it's wait, a song wait, called oh, Lost I'm, in Your Eyes.
0: I'm thinking of Hungry Eyes, my bad.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there. Um, crap, am I mixing up my songs here? There's a song called Lost in Your Eyes. But I think that was a Jeff Healy song. He had a hit called Angel Eyes, which was written by John Hyatt, and a song called Lost in Your Eyes, which he did, yes, he did. That's okay. a, that is an early Mud Crutch song. There is a demo version of it, which is, just it's so gorgeous it's beautiful it's from 1974 and it's on um it might it, i think it's on American Treasure
0: I don't know if i mean i maybe i i've heard it but i i need to go i need to go <laughs> search that out for sure
1: he's like he's like a, still in diapers i swear to god i <laughs> i got like he's so young at that time yeah. and um so I know I went all over the place there, but I think you know the ones I'm you got to go to. Ways to Be Wicked, um, Lost in Your Eyes, uh, Surrender. Yeah, Lost in Your Eyes is on uh, is on American Treasure. Okay, it's a it's a great one.
0: That's I mean I'll, I'll I will I don't I don't think I know that one. I look I love to learn. Let's I'll do it. I was always going. I was I was hoping you you I don't know if you know. I'm sure you know this song because it's on playback, but. I originally had it on the single for Learning to Fly, Down the Line. That was a B side from the Full Moon Fever Sessions, which is a fucking incredible song. And Down then, the Line? Yeah. It's on playback. Super good song. And then um, I always had a real affinity for um, I Love Sweet William. That song. Oh, yeah. Because that was the B side to Room at the Top.
1: Room at the Top. Oh, man. That's such a beautiful song. I know, Sweet William, he did that at the Fonda show, right? He
0: did, yeah, and I lost my fucking mind, if you recall. And I... I do. Stone Cold Sober. Yeah. Like, he's playing Sweet William. And then then I I remember very vividly, and then I will will cease my dorking out here, but I, I had flown down to or flown out to la and i didn't amoeba i think i just opened and it was 2002 it was i was a new full-time employee with 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 universal music group or whatever it was called vd back then (laughs) Uh, a a horribly named umvd (laughs) and everybody was doing this dinner and i snuck out of the dinner to go to amoeba and um i bought the cd single of you don't know how it feels and the b-side was girl on lsd And I remember just sitting in the hotel room, the the old Sheraton up there, like everybody else was out and I was in my hotel room listening to the song on repeat. And it's not the best, not the best petty song, but fuck if it's not like the one of the quirkiest. And what a gem, you know?
1: That's the good thing about it. Like I said, 16 albums, but there's, you know, another, there's so much other material, Um, but yet not so much that you like, the Springsteen universe is so huge and some other bands, it's like that. I feel like I can't get my head around it. But with Tom, I feel like I can get my head around it. It's digestible. I can,
0: digestible.
1: It's digestible and I can, you know, I can I can go back and I can enjoy it. Yeah, there, there's some amazing B-sides. And thank you for the tip on down the line. I'm sitting there talking about playback, playback. I don't remember that song. I, gotta I swear go it's,
0: I have, I still have the a single's in the other room and I swear it's, it's on there. Cause I remember like listening to the box set and being like, Oh, I know this song. It's on the single I had since I was nine years old. Hold, hold up.
1: Playback. Uh, I, when that record came out, when that box set came out, I took the poster and, framed it and it's still in my office i just i love the artwork it's and iconic. i have a wildflowers one too Wildflower of course i haven't seen my office in nine months at this point so i hope that yeah. my records are okay well, they, they,
0: pa- <laughs> they were moving offices so they packed up my office i don't even know where i don't even know where my stuff is like at all not even a clue so <laughs> that's that's a real fun surprise to unpack once to actually unpack once this ends Anyway, Lloyd, this was awesome. I'm so glad we were able to do this because there's nobody else I'd want to talk to Tom uh, to talk Tom Petty about than you. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty amazing to kind of, you know, have the different experiences and then like something like the, your experience with Full Moon Fever and that being like the first CD that I loved and the first record my dad bought that I connected with and it was your high school graduation record. There's just there's just so many. Um, special moments like that so i'm stoked that we got to do this and um yeah we got to do it again man thank you so much for joining and um yeah thank you man this has been great
1: thank you for having me it was it's a lot of fun it's uh it's not you know not not a lot of opportunities to do this but uh it, it's what makes this all fun is, is being able to listen to music so thanks for having me and thanks for uh thanks for being a fan with, with me like with it's you, been great with you and- like,
0: and if that, if that show comes about, we're going, you are, you are, we are each other's plus one.
1: Absolutely. All
0: right, Lloyd, thank you so much, man. Uh, thank you for listening to the gross out podcast. We'll talk again soon.